Hello, and welcome to the Onside Kick Family Hour. I'm your host, Ryan Van Biver. Uh, with me, as always, the real brains of the operation, Danny Kelly and Stephen White. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Doing awesome. Excellent. Are you guys in draft mode? <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, what, it's like coming up. It's, it's coming up real quickly. Coming up fast, dude. Coming up fast. It snuck up on us, I feel like. I, well, it seems like it's been a little different this year. I mean, it's an interesting draft class, but it's not interesting in the sense that there's not, I mean, you know, there's not a Johnny Manziel, there's not a Cam Newton, there's not a headline maker person, you know, somebody that's making headlines for something that kind of goes beyond whatever they do on the field. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. There's no like superstar, you know, if anybody, it's maybe, uh, you know, Jalen Ramsey or, or one of the DBs that kind of sneak up like guys that could like sneak into the, you know, maybe be the top overall pick. But yeah, uh, it's, it feels like maybe this is one of those like uh, deeper drafts where the second and third round are more interesting. Yeah, I think so, too. It'll be a especially with the positions that, you know, the draft field, it's not a good year for offensive skill players. And that always kind of turns off a lot mm. of, you know, the bigger, the wider population that you would get you know, in, during the season totally. itself. Totally. It's harder for folks, I think, to think to get as jazzed up about offensive linemen as the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, I mean, you know, that's what it is. It's, but that's where you make your money, you know, on draft day. You got to get those. Those are the guys you really can kind of clean up with. But let's start with um, something kind of related to the draft in that it ought to ex- it's news that ought to excite draft Twitter. But, uh... The NFL is going to be broadcasting Thursday night football games on Twitter this year. Get your crying Jordans ready, guys. <laughs> How does that even work? Is there going to have they're going to have like a a link that you just like watch a tweet? Ah, uh, I have no idea. <laughs> it just seems weird, but I mean that's cool though. But I like I always like the idea of streaming games for free since I don't pay for cable <laughs> currently. Although yeah. I probably will this year, but but yeah, I like that. Well, it's uh, it'll be different, that's for sure. But it's just kind of a small piece because it's funny because you'll still have the game streamed on CBS and NBC and NFL, mm-hmm. NFL.com for that. So it's kind of a, a wide range of streaming options. But I think it's the NFL concerned about shoring up its its fan among the young peoples out there. My question is, you know how – okay, so – if you're if you're one of those people that is unplugged, right? Like don't have cable, mm-hmm. and you like to watch the games on the streaming thing. Like we ran into this last year when we were doing the social for SB Nation. It's like all the live streams are not live; they're like ten seconds late, right? And so when you're watching the game on the stream, like everyone's talking about it on Twitter, like about ten seconds before it happens. So like it's just not even there's it's not worth watching those live like quote live streams. So I wonder if these streams will be actually live, like if they're really live, that that would be like the thing that I really want to watch because um, everyone talks about the game on Twitter. And if the, if the Twitter commentary is like 10 seconds ahead of the actual Twitter, like mm-hmm. stream, that would, it seems like that would be really dumb. <laughs> so I don't know like what the reasoning for the, uh, the big lag is with like, you know, like for instance, like the Fox app or the CBS app or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. That's a good point because I, I don't know. I got in trouble for that this year. It was like third and 
it was like what was it? it was third and ten and and they didn't it was the patriots broncos afc championship and i was watching on a stream yeah. and they missed the brady missed the pass to gronk and i'm like oh the patriots are fucked now it's over and then sure as shit everyone's like what are you talking about and because they had right as i tweeted that just they had completed a <laughs> a 40 yard bomb gronk yeah yeah i remember that <laughs> so, my, my bigger question is are you going to be able to tweet and watch the game at the same time yeah i think right. that, that, that's really the bigger question here you know twitter is for whatever reason people have gravitated to going on twitter during games and kind of you know that's kind of like your online uh uh, uh bar sports bar or what yeah. have you, instead of going to a sports bar, you just maybe sit at home, or maybe you, you actually are at a real sports bar, but the people you're communicating are actually on Twitter. Uh, you know, those are the people you're debating yeah. with, you know, discussing the game with. And so if, if like Danny said, if you're one of these people who are unplugged, and so you want to kind of be able to watch the game on the go, and you're watching the stream on your phone, is there much space left over for you to actually be able to tweet? Yeah. <laughs> and, right. and, and if you force people to decide between tweeting and watching the game, yeah, what if people actually decide, well, I'd rather tweet than actually click, click on this link. I can find somewhere else to watch the game, uh, but I need to be able to communicate you know, and, and kind of commiserate with, with the rest of the fan base or not. So I, I think there's a lot of questions so far. The announcement was just, Today, I think so. Obviously, there's a lot that's going to go into this, but yeah. right. I'm interested to see how it's all supposed to work out in the end. Yeah, and it's interesting too because, like, you know, ha- having done this for a few years now, it's always been like with Twitter, it's been a big part of game day coverage, but it's always been sort of like, you know, that's where you sort of, like you said, you talk about people with the games, but you're also sort of like, that's where you get your. You know, that's where, because now this is on a Sunday and I'm not watching, say, a Packers game. But I see the, you know, the Hail Mary that Aaron Rodgers throws or something like that. You know, you get sort of those moments and highlights from the games and stuff uh, like yeah. that. Yeah. And injury updates, too. Yeah. You know, if mm-hmm. you have to watch one game and there's a big injury in another game, you find out immediately from watching your Twitter stream. So not being able to, to do both at the same time, yeah, maybe they will be able to do both. Maybe they found a way to integrate it. But if you can't do both at the same time, and that includes not just being able to send off tweets, but actually see your timeline, yeah. I think that could get a little bit problematic. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how they work it out. I mean, I guess they've got some time to figure it out. But, I mean, they're going to have to work it up because I'm telling you what, when it's a Titans-Jaguars game on Thursday night, I'm going to have things <laughs> to say. Yeah, the whole mobile thing is definitely a good question. I didn't even think of that aspect of it, uh, Stephen. That's that's very true because I was just picturing watching it on my computer, but watching it on mobile is like, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know how that's going to work. That's a big part of the game day thing too. I'm telling you, we get like yeah, yeah. on Sundays this season. You know, it's pretty regular that sixty to seventy percent of the traffic we get's from mobile. <laughs> so. That's crazy, man. That is so crazy. People just sitting there, like at their parties and yeah, and stuff, you know, you're I guess. watching the games and then you're following other shit on on your phone, you know, Facebook, yeah, Twitter, yeah. Instagram, Snapchat, all that stuff. I forget what it's like to be a fan. Like you know, like people, like all my friends go to a bar and watch the game, and I'm like, I forget what it's like to actually like go to somewhere and just watch oh, yeah. games. It's like I'm like constantly yeah. just like doing stuff on my computer the whole time, you know. So it's like a totally different experience. 
I know I never drink beers on Sunday anymore because, like, if I, I'm like, man, it's like if I the. I want to get tired. The, yeah, exactly. It's third quarter of the four o'clock games. Like, man, I sure could go for a beer right now. I was like, no, I got <laughs> six more hours to work here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Let's uh, let's move on. The Colin Kaepernick thing, kind of a weird weird mm. deal right now. Depending on you know how closely you're following this, it sounds like they could make a trade. San Francisco does this stuff like, well, we don't want to trade him, but we will trade him. And so they're not willing to pay. Uh, they're not willing to pick up, what, about $4.5 million worth of his salary, and the Broncos want him to take a pay cut. So it sounds like maybe it's all kind of up to Kaepernick if he wants to. He can go to Denver for less money or less guaranteed money, or he can stay in San Francisco and make what he's making right now. And, and it also kind of depends on, too, his, you know, he's coming off some off-season uh, in, uh, surgery, or not surgery, but or maybe he is surgery, but he's coming off some yeah, I think injuries. Yeah, so he's got some recovery built into his off-season as well. I don't know. What do you guys make and of this Colin Kaepernick thing so far? Stephen, I'll let you go first. <laughs> well, first of all, you know, I've said this before. I, I don't understand why he wants to leave. It, it has to be something personal because – on a professional level, I just don't think there's <clears throat> another offense in the league right now, let alone one that actually where he could actually win the job, where he would actually be able to go back and be like a Pro Bowl type player. Yeah. You know, and this offense with Chip Kelly, if he wins that job, he won't just look good. He will look like, you know, <laughs> pretty much like, uh, Cam Newton, who just won the MVP, maybe even better, because you know you could argue that Chip Kelly definitely understands how to run that offense a lot better yeah. than uh, <laughs> the guy in, in, in uh, Carolina, <laughs> their, their, their offense coordinator uh, Shula. What's his name? Shula, Mike, Mike Shula, who I have some familiarity with. He was here in Tampa with me. <laughs> um, but seriously, though, like. Everything that is a strong point for Chip Kelly's offense is also a strength of Colin Kaepernick. He needs an offense where you have quick, defined reads or then take off running and also, you know, incorporates the quarterback running game. There just aren't many offenses that, especially ones that don't already have a starting quarterback entrenched to go around in the NFL where he will actually be able to showcase his talent. So I I just don't understand why he wants out of there in the first place, and, and he's the one leading this now. You know, he's the one who uh, his representatives were the one that asked for a trade. So it's yeah. not like you know the the Forty ers are forcing this thing. Obviously, they are listening, so that kind of tells you something there too. They could just say no, you know, he's our quarterback. But you know, when you when you send your representatives in there to ask for a trade, they kind of give the impression you don't want to be there. And yeah. you know, to say if you don't want to be here, I don't really want you here either. Uh, so uh, I, I don't understand why he's pushing for this. I don't I don't understand that part. But I, what I would say this is this: he'd be have to be a damn fool to give up four million dollars plus just to go somewhere else to a team that's cash strapped right now that's already lost some pieces from their their Super Bowl. Uh, winning team, and it basically going to turn you into a, a bridge quarterback mm-hmm. for the big guy. Yeah, man, he's got to get the fuck out of here. It, 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 if he even considers it, 
He's a damn fool. Why would you give up money? Make you want to know what you do? Force the 49ers to cut your ass. Okay, if it's gonna come down to it, then you can have all the other teams to negotiate with and not just Denver. But if it comes to that, man, it's got to be a better situation than Denver out there anyway. If you're going to take a $4 million pay cut, why would you do that? Especially when the the 49ers are even at least giving lip service to the fact that they will welcome him back. Look, you can be mad and it could be something personal between you and the front officer, maybe even something in the locker room and want to leave. But if you leave $4 million on the table, I'm sorry. You're a damn fool. That's just my opinion on it. It ain't going to change. You can't be that damn mad at somebody in San Francisco. I promise you, you could be, I can hate your damn guts. I'm not giving no <laughs> to leave. You leave. Y'all cut his ass and I'll stay here. That's what, that would be my negotiating point. If it's something I got a problem with, y'all get rid of them and I'll stay here. But I'm not giving no $4 million to leave. That's well, absurd. Yeah, yeah, and especially when you think of the with the thing about his contract with the 49ers is too, it's like it's so easy for them to wiggle out of it every after every season too. I mean, they don't have they could cut him after this season and then he's going to get zero guaranteed money something. You know what I mean? It, it's it, until somebody else signs him, but you know, you 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 got 4 million dollars on the table for sure. If sure thing an extra 4 million dollars with San Francisco this year. Right. He's been shit on so much for that contract too. And then for him to like take a pay cut from that, that would be, I mean, that would be look, that would look pretty bad too. So, I mean, I agree with Steven. I just, it would be, I feel like it would be a real shame for him to leave San Francisco now because now we finally get this chance to see what, you know, like Chip Kelly's offense with a guy like him. I think that would just be so much fun. Like it would just be a shame for the fans. Uh, if he, if he lost, if he left at this point, because, um, you know who wants to see Gabbert? You know in the, in that <laughs> offense, I, it's just like a, lose, it's a losing situation. I mean, I who knows if Kaepernick will, will become you know you know what he was a couple of years ago when they were doing all the read option stuff and, and you know he ran for like a hundred and whatever eighty yards against the Packers in the playoffs and you know who knows if he'll ever become that again. But like it just seems like it would be so much fun to see him in that Chip Kelly offense and. Um, so I don't know. It just seems like it would be a real shame if they did trade him, but it's it is weird. It's like a weird. Um, it, I think it has to do something to do with like just he wants to start somewhere new or or what? Like he just wants a new like fresh play, fresh start somewhere else. Who knows what it is? But um, but yeah, it, I don't know. Just it doesn't at this point it doesn't really seem like it's going to happen though. Like I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but it just seems like it, it's pretty much stalled at this point, and he's just going to kind of. Stick stick with San Francisco at this point. Uh, it's a good opportunity for him. I mean, you know, I, I think he'd be yeah. kind of crazy not to. And we'll see, you know, what what else is out there, what's going on with you know his recovery from his surgery and stuff. So we'll see what happens with that. But I mean, I you know, it's San Francisco's sort of you you forget about it sometimes because they were so successful under Harbaugh for a couple of years there, but. San Francisco's got a pretty good uh, pretty good handle on team dysfunction. That don't let don't let anyone fool you. It's not just the Browns that can Yeah, and that's the that's the thing, like I mean I can kinda like playing devil's advocate, you can see why he'd be one out. Like, you know, one, the forty ers ro- roster is kind of a mess right now, and that's putting it lightly. Um <laughs> And you have uh, you have an opportunity to go and play, you know, with Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas and um you know, they got the running back. And so like, there's, it looks like they're on the up and up. You're, you're, 
you're going to a team that has a really great defense, so that can support you. It's not all on your shoulders. Um, you know, theoretically, I kind of like him in that system. Uh, I mean, I'd rather see him in the Chip Kelly system, you know, what they're doing there. But, like, I think in theory, like, I could see Kaepernick in in that kind of... Uh, offense. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's tough to know, but, like, in theory, it kind of feels like it could work. But yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I can see kind of some of the reasons for wanting to go there. But, again, I don't think you'd take less money to do that, and that's what he's balking at right now, and that makes sense. Um, and just personally, I think it would just be a shame <laughs> if he left. All right. Well, let's go to another. Speaking of dysfunction and the uh, and another quarterback situation, the Browns and RG three. It seems like it's mm-hmm. maybe a, a decent match, though. I mean, on 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 the surface of it, it seems like Hugh Jackson's a good coach for RG three. He's as PFT commenter would say, he's humbled now after his experience in Washington, and he's in in Cleveland. Um, probably, you know, going to have to fight for his spot, not guaranteed to start if the Browns do end up drafting a quarterback with the, with their top pick in the draft this year, which most people sort of expect them to do. Now we'll see if that actually happens, but, um, thoughts on the matter, Danny, I'll start with you this on, on RG three here. Well, I think in terms of locations to, to end up, on the coaching side, I think it's perfect because Hugh Jackson, I mean, I think you saw like, it's pretty much uh, unanimous. Like everyone was saying, like if he's going to end up with any coach, it should be Hugh Jackson just because he's got such uh, a great reputation for working with quarterbacks. And uh, let's face it, RG three has not had a very, you know, stable situation with the Shanahan's. And then he went to uh, uh, Jay Gruden and it didn't seem like, it seems like Gruden pretty much hated him, <laughs> you know, for whatever reason, maybe it was, you know, with good cause, but, um, seems like pairing him with Hugh Jackson is, is a really, really like perfect fit. Now that said, I think you're, again, this is kind of like the same thing with, with the Kaepernick thing. Like you're putting him on a team that has like zero talent on offense. Like, I mean, they've got a couple good running backs and I like that. There's a couple offensive linemen, you know, with a lot of potential like Petonio, but like they lost, uh, the right tackle. They lost their center, Alex Mack. Um, you know, they lost their top receiver, um, Josh Gordon is still in purgatory. Who knows what's going on with him? Um, so there's, you know, there's just nothing around him. So it feels like it's going to be like a lot on, on RG three shoulders. Whereas like, if you put him in another team with like a really strong run game, really strong, you know, skill position players around him, he's not, it's not, it's, he's going to be like more of a game manager. It feels like in, in Cleveland, it's going to be a lot of pressure on him to like carry the offense. And that's not a good thing. And, you know, they were, I think they were second to last last year in, in sacks given up. And, and this year, you know, they lost two of their top, like, really, you know, reliable offensive linemen. So that can't be good. So on one hand, you know, I really like the fit. And I really think it, it gives them a chance paired to him with a good coach, like a, a coach that can develop quarterbacks. But on the other hand, whew, you know, it could, it could get ugly, uh, you know, just based on some of this lack of talent that they have right now. So. Hopefully he can stay healthy. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, but I think, it, like I, I wrote in this article a couple of weeks ago, I think it could get real ugly before it gets any better for RG3. Um, but if, if they stick with him and it sticks through it, then he has potential to kind of start to rebuild his career there. Steven, RG3 and the Browns, do you think this is going to work out for him? Do you think this is okay? Or, or is this a, are we maybe overselling the move just because of Hugh Jackson's work in the past? 
Well, no, I think it's actually a really good fit. You know, one of the things about it when you're talking about RG3 is people tend to kind of just be black or white with him. And I'm not trying to make a pun there. But uh, it's like people actually like him or they think he's the worst quarterback ever. And (laughs) RG3 lives in this gray area right now because we all saw him perform that rookie season where he was electric. And I know what I saw on film. It's still look yeah. upon you know, the NFL game pass up. You can still go back and watch him play from his rookie season. You'll see him making the throws. You'll see him going through progression. You'll see him doing a lot of things that people contend that he can't do. And so you have after that the torn knee, and then he comes back too early, and then his mechanics are all fucked up, and then he gets a coach, his, his first coach, and he are beefing, and he ends up getting uh, uh, fired. And then the new coach doesn't really seem to have a whole lot of confidence in him either. And, and all of a sudden, he becomes like this guy who's never done anything. Well, that's just not true. Yeah. And, and I just in real time, I said that um, that first year back off a of knee injury was RG three. People were just expecting too much. You can see him favoring that leg almost every time he threw the football. So, of course, he was spreading it all over the field. He, he rushed himself back. The team allowed him to rush himself back. And so he ended up failing that year. Now, that second, that, that second year after the knee injury, he, got, he, is Jay, he gets Jay Gruden as a head coach, who's supposed to be an offensive guru. And every single quarterback they rolled out that, that, that year looked terrible. I mean, let's just be honest. Yeah, three different three different quarterbacks basically got benched or played so bad that one of them, you know, RG three got hurt again. But you know, you roll Kirk Cousins out there and he gets benched, and then you roll uh, uh, the kid from Texas and he gets benched. So nobody played well that first year under Jay Gruden. The second year they actually stuck with Kirk Cousins, no matter how bad he played the first half of the season, and then he came on strong at the end. But you didn't have that kind of confidence in RG3, especially after he got hurt in the preseason. So, you know, this view that he's just done in this league, I just do not share that opinion. He still has a whole lot of potential. And then you're talking about Hugh Jackson. The thing about Hugh Jackson that makes him such a good fit for RG3 is that Hugh Jackson doesn't come in with, you know, a scheme and force it down your throat. He's going to adjust to the talent of whichever quarterback he's working with. You saw it with Carson Palmer. Yeah. Saw something totally different when he went to uh, the Bengals and eventually became the offense coordinator. And look, <laughs> a lot of people don't – let me go back to this. Most people who are football fans are fans of a team. So they watch their team and probably don't really watch many other teams other than theirs. So if they have to catch – their team playing the Bengals, that's one thing. Well, if you watch the Bengals play, man, they do a lot of stuff or did a lot of stuff under Hugh that would be perfect for, for RG3. Yeah. A lot of the option stuff, a lot of the you know tempo stuff, a lot of pushing the ball down the field, which we know RG3 has always been good at when he's healthy. And so you have that perfect combination right there. But I'll say this, too. I agree to a certain extent with Danny on the amount of talent you have on that offense. Yes, they lost the offensive line, and, and I think uh, they're going to feel that a little bit. But you got Joe Thomas still at left tackle. 
You got Joel Batonio, who's a high pick a couple years ago. You got Cameron Irvin, who's moving now to center. With him. <laughs> at least mm. you have a little bit of help. You know, maybe he won't get exposed as much. Yeah. Because you know, at center, you get a lot of help from the guard, one of the guards uh, on most plays. So I think you can hide him a little bit at center. Now, the other guys <laughs> we pretty much haven't really heard of before, right? Um, probable starters at right guard and right tackle. But at least center, left guard, left tackle, they should be pretty decent. And then you mm-hmm. get to talk about Gary Barnage who was a revelation last year, uh, 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 along with the wide receiver they lost to the Chargers. Uh, Garrett Barnes put in work last week. Yeah. I mean, last year. And you, you want to know what would be uh, RG3's best friend? Having a tight end that he feels confident in, that he can get the ball to when everything else breaks down. You know, when you have one of these quarterbacks who is a scrambling type guy, you see it uh, uh, in Carolina with Cam Newton and he and Greg Olson. You give them a good tight end that they can just get open, whether it's deep or short or intermediate, and, and find a way to get open for you when you really need it on third and five or when everything else is breaking down. And I think Gary Bartis can be there for him. You, you're going to be hurting their wide receiver a little bit, but they still got a little bit of talent there too with Brian Hartline and Andrew Hawkins. We get to see what Terrell Pryor maybe can be. Who knows if Josh Gordon comes back. Maybe they'll address that in the draft. But I think maybe that this – the only uh, uh, um, major weak point, and I think that's somewhere that they can actually uh, uh, augment themselves with the draft. But, but that running back situation is pretty good now. This dude, Johnson, yeah. is pretty special. Didn't really have anybody get him the ball on a regular basis last year, but I'm talking about running the ball and, and, and catching the football. He has, now I don't want to say he's Marshall Falk, but as far as being a dual threat running back, he has that sort of ability. He can can make you uh, 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 he can make the other defense miserable catching the football or running the football. And then you got Isaiah Cole, who's kind of your hammer guy. You know, he can take yeah. it to the house more so than not. He's gonna give you that hard four or five yard run. So I think this offense actually has some talent again that fits right in with what RG three needs around him. Would he? Would he? You know be helped by having one of those big wide receivers that can go get the football for him? Absolutely. But he has some other pieces I think can really help him get the ball to the running backs, get the ball to the tight end, get the ball out fast, do a little bit of uh, quarterback run stuff. And I think Hugh Jackson would do all those things to try to, you know, kind of put RG3's best foot forward. Because I still think they're going to take a quarterback high in the draft, but I think Hugh has been around the block enough to know now that the quicker you put that quarterback out on the field, most of the time, the quicker they're going to fit. Yeah. So if he can last this whole season with RG3 doing well, I think that's what they're going to lean on and try to do for the most part. So uh, it's just – who knows if RG3 is going to make the most of this situation, right? He could go in there and, and totally screw everything up. I just think this is the best situation he could have found himself in this offseason – with this head coach and with this offense, Pell Hamilton also in the mix. So you know they're going to have some of their power running game, which also goes along with play-action pass and having extra blockers in there. So mm-hmm. I, this is a perfect situation for him. Now it's going to be on him to take advantage of yeah. it, but I do think he's kind of set up for success there, probably more so than anybody would give him credit for before the season starts. Yeah, and it'll be interesting too because with the I mean, you know the the Browns essentially have two first round picks because they have the thirty second overall pick in the draft this year because of the oh, yeah. you know, where it flip flops with the Titans 
on one and two in each round from round to round. And so with the Patriots forfeited pick they they have the 32nd pick in the draft and, and, and with the new regime and we still kind of don't really know what direction they want to go and what they want to do, but that's a chance to get two pretty impact players right off the bat and the two, basically two first round picks. I mean, for all intents mm-hmm. and purposes. So that's a, uh, and then if they do any trading or anything like that, but that's, you know, they don't have to start the season just threadbare, and I wouldn't be surprised maybe to see. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what they do with that second overall pick. If you get a guy with a guy like Hugh Jackson, maybe he feels like you know he can grab a quarterback at that thirty-second pick or or not. I don't know, but it's a uh, it's it'll it's certainly something to watch. And I think it could be interesting because I, you know RG three is a pretty exciting player to watch, and it's easy to get lost in the the tweets and the slogans and and the nasty Washington media environment. You know where RG three, you know, had the fortune of playing the the first part of his career, but you know he's a pretty exciting player, and when he's playing the way he can, it's it's a fun game to watch, man. Whether you like him or not, and that's and that's Absolutely. ultimately yeah. why we're all here. Oh yeah, if you can, I mean, you can't say they're not interesting this year, that's for sure. I mean, Cleveland, uh, yeah, they're definitely going to be like probably one of my most like fun like i'll be most interested to watch them this year i think than a lot of teams which is not something i would have said you know last year or whatever um so that's yeah i mean (laughs) at at least yeah at least they'll be entertaining at least in the beginning of the year anyway (laughs) well let's stay on the browns because they had kind of another interesting move the other day they cut dante whitner and that kind of is consistent with what we've seen from the browns this season steven mentioned it cutting alex with you know parting ways with alex mack and, and mitchell schwartz earlier in the off season, but, uh, another pretty high profile player, they, they just let go. And, uh, th- it's a pattern here for Cleveland. And it seems to be, maybe this is sort of the, maybe this is part of what we sort of loosely describe as the money ball approach that they're going to go here. I don't know. Uh, thoughts on cutting Dante Whitner and the Browns moves overall so far this off season, Steven. Well, you got some people saying uh, that they're going with the money ball approach. And I am a fan of analytics, but I, I'm just not sure about the whole money ball thing when it comes to the NFL. Uh, I just think I don't even really think you need to do it in the first place because everybody's under the same salary cap. Yeah. You know, so it, it's it's not a soft cap. It's a pretty hard cap. And so everybody's pretty much got the same amount of money to play with in the first place. But uh, look, if, if they want to kind of tear it down and start over from the ground up, uh, I, I get that. Uh, the guys they cut have been 30 years and older guys. So, you know, there's something to be said for a youth movement, especially in a place like Cleveland, where it's been so long since they had any kind of sustained uh, success. So, you, you know, you, you sometimes you got to tear it all down and restart to, to put because the foundations itself are messed up, but you know it 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 it, it won't be I, you know. Danny talked about offense on defense. I'm not sure how pretty it's going to be either because you lose something when you take those veterans off the field. Carlos Dansby, fantastic player, probably a better leader though. Dante mm-hmm. so, Whitner, I wouldn't call him a fantastic player at this point in his career. Definitely a leader though. And so now you're taking that leadership out of the room. You got a whole bunch of young pups you're going to bring in. Who's going to kind of show them the way and lead them down the right path? And, and 
quiet as kept. You really need that. Yeah. In the NFL, probably more so than people believe. It, it, you know, that's one of those cliches that actually is true. You know, you, you need some of those guys around the locker room to, if for no other reason, to help kind of uh, 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 translate their head coach's vision down to the field level. You yeah. know, and, and, and give those guys, uh, you know, kind of a second time hearing the same thing so they understand what's required of them. Um, uh, I can't even begin to tell you how some of the older guys that were on the Bucks when I got there who weren't even around uh, by the time we started winning helped set us up for winning. You know, Martin Mayhew was on their team. And every, little, every so often he'd been playing a bunch of years at that point, was on the downside of his career. I think he only played like that year and then retired. Um, but just pearls of wisdom here and there he would throw out in the locker room. First young guys to eat up and mm-hmm. learn what it means to be a professional, learn what it means to prepare and get ready for big games and stuff like that. And so, you know, we, we'll see if it works. Um, obviously, I, I don't think either of those guys were expendable. I don't think, either, you know, it, it, it's pretty much a fact. Neither Carlos Dansby or, or Dante Whitner were ascending players or even, you know, Mitchell Schwartz is a very good player, but, He's probably as good as he's ever going to be right now, you know, and, and, and maybe they didn't feel like they should uh, 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 invest that much in their offensive line, especially with Joe Thomas. And like I said, Joe Betonio already there. Yeah. They made some decisions that may or may not come back to hunt them. I'll put it that way. It's a curious way to go about it, but I'm, I'm, I'm willing to wait and see the results. I'm willing to wait and see. If this works for them, because hell, they've tried just about everything at this point, and nothing seems to have worked thus far. Yeah, it's a it's a work in progress, and I have a ways to go this season. Whether you know, I think even had they kept those players, it's kind of a. I mean, I mean, they, the Browns are in a position where they obviously have a lot of work to do. So it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what direction they take the franchise here. It's interesting you mentioned the leadership angle of this because I think that's something that you have seen more of an emphasis this offseason from the Patriots. You know, they brought in Terrence Knighton was their latest veteran addition. They brought in Chris Long a few weeks ago, which I thought was a real after they you know lost Chandler Jones in the trade to, with Arizona. But you know, to me, those are interesting moves not just because of what those guys bring from a scheme standpoint. But those are also two guys that are pretty, you know, that sort of fit in that bill of, you know, the a coach's kind of player, the coach's son type player, right? you know, that the knows the system, knows how to interpret those directions and put them into place on the field. And they bring a lot of value in that more so than just, you know, what they do, you know, from a schematic standpoint or, or from, the, you know, what, what you would necessarily see on the tape from those two guys or from guys like that. And that's something you've always kind of seen with Belichick's Patriots. I mean, you even go back to that, whoa, what was it? Oh yeah. War room, the book where, you know, they're talking about, you know, the foundation of that dynasty early on with Belichick was around, um, for God's sakes, I can't think of the names now, but you know, those kind of players fit the bill. And then, you know, the, the hybrid running back and the hell Ty law and those guys. Danny, your thoughts on the Patriots offseason thus far? Yeah, I mean, considering, you know, what they had to work with in terms of cap and and they don't have a first round pick or whatever, I think they've done a really good job. Like, 
you know, obviously they traded Chandler Jones. And so, um, you know, that's going to be a loss for them on in terms of their pass rush, but they picked up a second round pick, which they needed um, a little more ammo in the draft. And then they went out and signed a couple guys, Chris Long and Shay McClellan, who could potentially, you know, combine to kind of give them that pass rush that they lost. So I like that a lot. I mean, you know more about Chris Long than I do, but yeah, getting him for one year, 2 million seems like a real deal. I, I you know, he, he could be washed up at this point, who knows, but he's had, major injuries, you know, that he's had to deal with the last couple of years. And so for me, that just feels like a really good signing for them. And, and, you know, he's going to be like kind of like a situational pass rusher for them and come in and, um, you know, provide that spark that they need that they lost with Chandler Jones. And so I really, really actually like what they've done with their, their off season. Um, you know, they signed Terrence Knight in the other day, which I think is a good, a good pickup for them. Um, and, what else have they done? Let's see. They hasn't been anything else huge. Uh, they got, like I said, Shane McClellan, who, you know, who knows what he's going to really be for them. Cause I think he, he McClellan kind of played all over for the bears. And I think, um, he might be more of a linebacker than a, than a pass rusher at this point, but who knows, maybe they could get him, um, use him creative, uh, creatively to, you know, kind of augment what they've lost. But, uh, yeah, overall, you just kind of got to respect what they've done considering, you know, they didn't have a whole lot of money to play with. So, um, yeah, I think they've had a really good off season overall. Steven, your impression, I mean, you, you know, Knighton is somebody you've talked about here before and when we've talked about the Broncos and, st- and, and, and then Washington last season, what, what's your impression of the move? Well, I, I, honestly, I think it shores them up inside uh, big time. Terrence Knighton is a huge guy, but he's relatively quick for a man that size, too. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, he's very powerful. And so with Bill Belichick, man, when he has a real bona fide nose tackle in there, he gets very creative with his defense. He gets creative anyway, but there's, like, more things that you can do, and you don't necessarily – have to be worried if you stick Terrence Knighton in there and then the team tries to go tempo so you can't substitute. Yeah. Is he a pass rusher? No. But can he give you some push in the pocket? Like, is he – he's not going to be a statue right there. He absolutely can, at the very least, collapse the pocket and give your other pass rushers a chance. And he's a veteran. This guy just understands – uh pretty much everything you want to know about playing interior defensive lineman football. And so he's going to be that leader uh, off the field, maybe kind of feel that Vince Wilford role. But on the field, I, I think it is his, his contribution would be even greater because I, I just think when, when you can't run on the Patriots, you're going to be in problem. You're going to be uh, in trouble on third and long yeah. with Bill Belichick. And so, if he can shut that thing down inside, kind of like Vince Wilfork was doing for most of his career, then you know you can let those guys like Chris Long and, and, and those other guys get a rush. So I, I'm excited to see it, man, because you know uh, I think last year they kind of just made do without mm-hmm. having that, that bona fide. Uh, uh, nose tackling there because of course Vince Wilford went for went left they they got they uh I think they released him and then he went to the Texans but this year now that they got that big guy back in there that's going to be wrecking shop inside look for that Patriots defense to really really get out the teams on first and second down 
Yeah. I guess Alan Branch was kind of in that role last year, and it's not exactly a, a one-to-one replacement for um, Will Fork. But they, and they still have Branch, too, so that's kind of an interesting rotation with Branch. And now you got Knighton in the mix, and then you throw uh, the guy they drafted, Malcolm Brown, who they drafted last year in that defensive tackle mm. rotation, too. They get some depth there. Yeah. Yeah, and they already have, I mean, even with, and this is something we talked about before, but even after the Jones trade, obviously he was their best pass rusher, but they still have other pass rushers. It's not like they're losing. Jamie Collins, yeah. Yeah, that produ- they're not giving up necessarily production. They're just getting it from other places on that. Well, and it kind of dovetails into like a whole other story, too. It's like they were looking at, uh, you know what Chandler Jones might be able to get on the open market with some of these pass rushers getting paid like out the ass. Um, so they, you know, I think the way they looked at it is like, Oh, we want to get something for him now because we're just not gonna be able to afford him. Like when he hits the open market after next year. So, I mean, that kind of just, that's an interesting angle too with the whole thing is, you know, they got a second round pick for him so they could reinvest that into the team rather than, you know, waiting another year for like a comp pick, which probably be like a third or a fourth, you know, they're, they're kind of just turning it into, um, let's get something for this guy that we're pretty sure we won't be able to pay, um, you know, a year down the line. And, and like you said, they can kind of bandaid it in, in the meantime, like with, with Chris long and, and whoever. And, um, you know, last year, what's the guy's name? Sheard. Jabal Sheard, yeah, he came in and he was like a free agent signing. Not many people really thought much of that, you know. And he ended up being really, really good for them in their in their system. He's he was a former Browns player, um, and so I think they feel like they can replace him with that level, you know, with what they have. Like you said, Jamie Collins, Jabal Sheard, and whoever. Um, and so it, it just seems like a savvy move uh, on their part. Yeah, and they're pretty well positioned. I mean, for a team that doesn't have a first round pick. They're pretty well positioned in terms of this is something you wrote about yesterday with with draft capital because yeah. they have those two second round picks and who knows you know how they'll flip those around and and, and move up or move down or whatever. Right. Yeah, they always tend to move around. Um, yeah, they you know like you said they if you talk, if you take all the draft capital I did I, I did an article about this today if you take all the draft capital and add it all up they're thirty first total because they don't have that first round pick and those right. first round picks are exponentially more valuable. But if you just take the rounds two through seven, you know, to throw the first round out and that's not something that you do, but I mean, just like if, we're, if you're talking days two and three of the draft, new England's actually ranked 10th in terms of their total draft capital. So that's a huge move up, you know, obviously having two second round picks is huge. So, um, after the first day, they are definitely well positioned, um, you know, to, kind of makes more noise in the draft this year and they always kind of do crazy stuff in the draft but um you know they're they're just still doing that patriot thing where they they can seem like they're really poised still to be really good for a couple more years at least as long as brady's still around yeah always the big always the big thing with new england but it's it's definitely one of the most interesting teams to watch in the in any part of the season off season or regular season and i say that without i know that uh I'm sure our uh, Jets listeners will let me hear about that, but I, I still stand by that, uh, that remark no matter what. <laughs> All right, so Greg Hardy apparently didn't get the, the sage advice that, that everybody should have in their life. Everybody in their life needs at one point or another, and that is to just shut the fuck up. 
<laughs> no, he did not. I mean, it's free. Anybody can do it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Always shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> When in doubt, but no, apparently that wasn't enough. And then he made those comments to Adam Schefter, you know, that all, I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen the full interview, but obviously the big takeaway from it that ESPN PR even released yesterday was that he said, I never put my hand, I've never put my hands on a woman, which, uh, yeah, I don't know that the, uh, evidence really supports that, but uh, is Greg Hardy going to get another job this year? Is he going to wind up with somebody this season before the season starts at least? I'm going to go with no. Uh, I think that he wouldn't have gotten a, a job last year if it wasn't for <clears throat> the Cowboys. Uh, yeah. You know, people all kept talking about there were other teams interested, and one of them was actually supposed to be the Bucks. But I, I don't believe that. I, I really don't. I, I think there might have been some superficial interest teams just kind of kicking mm-hmm. kicking, kicking around, kick, uh, you know, kicking, kicking around to see what they could find out. Once you find out those pictures are coming out, I mean, you got to know the kind of blowback you're going to get. Yeah. And so I don't think very many teams, if any, other than the Cowboys are going to hire him last year. And this year, especially after how he <laughs> – I mean, think about this now. How much did Dallas end up paying him? Like $9 million or something crazy like that? Oh, yeah. Some – some some million dollars per game or something. Yeah. And, yeah. and then you turn around and, and your ass can't even come to meetings all the time. Yeah. And, and, and you know, got this per- persecution complex or they all out to get me. Because you, once again, you wouldn't just shut the fuck up. You know, <laughs> kept wanting to talk, kept wanting to be on social media, kept wanting to do this, kept wanting to do that. I think that people, for, for, for once, the other owners are gonna going to kind of learn from the Cowboys and say, you know what? Nah, we're gonna go ahead and pass this time. Yeah, yeah. And in the NFL, isn't I mean, the Cowboys aside from stuff, teams aren't as tolerant with that stuff as they used to be. I mean, and ever since the Ray Rice thing, that's really changed a mm-hmm. lot. I mean, it's it's well, one thing to sign a rookie who's had some issues and has sort of come out and kind of apologized it and all before. You know, can kind of gloss over it since it was in the past in a different pre-NFL world of their existence. But teams have a lot less tolerance for that stuff now, fortunately. And how good was he last year? He had six sacks. I mean, but like it didn't seem like he was as much of an impact player as I think everyone thought he was in terms of like, you know, we, we always talk about like, uh, production is the biggest deal to teams. Like they flat out will just hire a guy if he's like a total asshole. You know, has arrests on his record. As long as he's getting sacks, like teams will look past all that. But like, is it really worth it now? Like he got six sacks in twelve games. Um, I mean, is that really worth the trouble at this point? Probably not. When you look back and some of the headlines, and I know the the headlines Dallas got over the whole thing were worse because Jerry Jones took it upon himself to make them worse at various points in the season. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 just the backlash that you ri- the team risks by putting a guy like that in the, in the mix, it just doesn't even seem to be worth it. I mean, we'll see if that was somebody who played like at, you know, elite quarterback level or something like that. But, you know, uh, uh, it's not 
so difficult to get five sacks that you can't avoid a headache like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. I mean, like, if you look back on in 2013, he had 15 sacks. So it's like, you know, teams are kind of like, God, man, we could really use someone like him. But like, if you look at his production last year, it's like, well, I don't think it's worth it, really. I mean, that's just kind of how I'm looking at it. And he still doesn't have a job. And I'm with Steven. It just kind of doesn't really seem like he's going to get a job at this point, yeah. which is why he did this interview, right? Like, I'm sure that's like, Oh yeah. The idea behind it, the the you know, idea was to like drum up some interest. Like, oh, this is like I've changed man, but like I think the uh, outcome has been like the exact opposite of what he was hoping for. Yeah. Come you out, know? look and try, then maybe get, right. you know. But no. like you said, he couldn't shut the fuck up and but so it's, it's interesting though because another guy that has had some off-field like quite a few off-field issues and is probably going to miss 10 games this season. But still got a deal is Alden Smith. The Raiders yeah. signed Alden Smith to a two-year deal yesterday. Um, but, you know, his off-field stuff is a little different, not to excuse right. it by any means, but it's a little different from Hardy's off-field stuff in that, you know, the, it hasn't been such a PR thing for the NFL over the last few years. But um, Well, it's non, non-violent, right? Yeah. For the most part. It's dumb, but non-violent. Well, yeah. When you go all the way back, I think that there was like that shooting at his house or something. Yeah. They had a party, but it wasn't him. It right. was somebody at his party or whatever. So right. uh, I, there's been some violence involved, but not with him directly. Um, and, and look, when it comes to the NFL, in some ways, when you you end up on the wrong side of the drug policy, you can be even more toxic than a guy who does beat up women, or at least in the past you could. Yeah. Because teams look at it as though, okay, we give this guy a second chance. Maybe he never hits a woman. But if you, you know, smoke some more weed, then you're going to get suspended for, for who who knows how long. You look at uh, what's the safety for the Ravens that look like he has turned his career around, Will, Will, um, Will, Will Hill. Hill. Yeah. And then he gets he gets uh, cut earlier this offseason out of the blue. Everyone's like, what's going on? Well, <laughs> not – I don't think it was 24 hours later we found out about him having a drug suspension. Yeah. And, and, and he had been in that kind of trouble before. So I think even more so, him getting signed to a two-year deal where he won't be able to play, mo- I think, most of next season or this upcoming season, I mean, while Greg Hardy still sits out there, shows you just how toxic that guy is. And it really doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. It really doesn't. If he apologized, at any point between now and then, even fake being contrite at all. Hell, if he came out with the, the interview with Schefter and said, and owned his mistake, said, said he you know, was turning over a new leaf, yeah. uh, uh, talked about getting counseling and that kind of stuff, that might have actually led to somebody giving him a third chance. But when you come out and say some bullshit like nobody beating women in the South doesn't happen. First of all, how is anybody going to sign you when they're too busy laughing at your dumb ass? Hmm. Okay. We know better. Everybody knows better. Putting hands on a woman isn't regional. It's not some shit that's just limited to one part of the yeah. country. And then we've seen the pictures, dumbass. I mean, you didn't put your hands on her. And, and I, listen, I listened to, to, well, I didn't listen to it. I read that over and over again. Uh, when it came out. And there's, there's a little part at the end where he admits 
he did something wrong. Like he said, I didn't say I, I was, I didn't do anything wrong. I said I was innocent. Yeah. So what I think, watch, watch this. I think he's trying to play a semantics game here. Yeah. Whereas, you know, sometimes when they say you put hands on somebody, they're talking about punching them. Yeah. Right. And so maybe he's trying to say, well, I didn't punch her. Yeah. You know, I, I, I grabbed her. I did all these other things, but, but I didn't punch her. And so he's going to put it in those terms. I didn't put hands on her. Yeah. But what's the fucking difference? What, what is the fucking difference? Yeah. She's bruised up. She has to call the police. You got guns all over the fucking place. You have seen that ain't nobody about to sign you right now, but you're still going to fight over semantics. You're going to try to win a war of words by trying to draw a line in the sand between actually punching her and maybe grabbing her and doing all these other despicable things. That, to me, shows who he really is. And Maya Angelou said it best. When a person shows you who they are, believe them. And so this ain't a matter of just of bad PR or just being uh, uh, badly prepped for an interview. This is who this guy is. Yeah. And so I don't want him anywhere near the game, just to be honest with you. It made me sick to think the Buccaneers were even considering him. In hindsight, in hindsight I don't really think they were. I think that was you know, his agent trying to play teams against each other. But I don't think he has any place in the league where he's – when he's telling you, he doesn't see anything wrong with what he did. Yeah. Well, and that was his, I mean, that was even part of his defense. I mean, in that Deadspin article that kind of revealed some of the stuff in the court docs, was like his defense was that, you know, well, the, you know, I, he had, he, whatever had happened was, you know, you know, she was at fault too in this whole thing, which is like even, you know, even more of a holy shit, don't, you know don't argue in the semantics on this because there's no way you come out looking good on this. So it's just, yeah, I think we've, we've probably seen the last of that guy unless Drew Rosenhaus kind of can keep getting him some more interviews with Adam Schefter. So of course it doesn't hurt that you have Schefter come out and say, this is a guy, quote unquote, this is a guy who managed to say the wrong things at the wrong time. I found him to be a changed kind of guy. Eesh. So yeah. Well, anyway, that's uh. I guess it's it's going to be on NFL Live this afternoon. So, so you can watch the. Whole I have thing. a feeling it's going to come off worse. Oh yeah, I think so too. Okay. Hmm. I think so too. All right. Let's 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 get on to a uh, happier subject here. The draft. <laughs> I know we're all pretty stoked for the draft, um, and it's not got a lot of uh, controversial sort of pick play, players type players to it. But uh, I just want to get you guys impressions of the players you've you've been able to watch and stuff so far. Who's really standing out to you? When you look at these guys in the draft this year. I guess I'll go first. Fair <laughs> uh, <laughs> profiles, but. Um, I really like Josh Doxson. Uh, he's a bigger wide receiver, but doesn't necessarily play that way when you're talking about blocking and stuff like that. And I don't really even care. He, he's so special with the football in the air. When you're talking about going up and getting it with your hands and catching it correctly, mm-hmm. uh, so far I haven't really seen a wide receiver do it as consistently as he has, nor as spectacularly 
as he has. He, he understands how to kind of push off and get away with it. He understands how to get open, whether that means trying to run by somebody or trying to body them up. And so I think he's got everything you really want uh, in a wide receiver. Um, another guy uh, who, who actually impressed me quite a bit is Robert Kim Dietzie, Yeah, which kind of surprised mm. me because just watching him in some games, I, I really wasn't that impressed. Uh, the few games I did watch him in, in college when, when I wasn't focusing solely on him. But then when I got to break down some of his film, um, he does some really, really good stuff, especially for a three technique. Yeah. When you talk about that guy in a four three who's going to, you know, blow everything up uh, inside and get pressure on the quarterback and push the pocket and just really kind of be a force at three technique. I, I'm not sure. Well, I'm sure of this. I haven't seen myself a better one so far in the film that I've been watching. Now, I got a whole bunch of more guys to watch. Mm-hmm. But so far, as far as a three technique and, and discounting whatever he's done off the field, uh, he looks like the best three technique of the bunch to me right now. So uh, those two guys kind of stand out to me. Um, I actually watch film on guys I don't uh, do breakdowns on, too, because, you know, like, say, for instance, a quarterback. I feel like you can't really do a credible breakdown on quarterbacks unless you actually have coaches film. Yeah. Because if you try, you just don't know what other options there were in the passing game that, that he could have gone to. You know, if, if he takes a sack, was there somebody open? And, and you, you're kind of left at the mercy of replays and stuff when you try to do it on TV copy. So, uh, but I watched some of those guys, and, and some of those guys have impressed me a little bit more than others. But as far as the guys I've actually done breakdowns on, Josh Dotson, I think Robert and uh, Kim Dietschy have probably been the two that stood out the most to me. Yeah, and Kim Dietschy is an interesting player because I think out of all the sort of, you know, the, the guys with the ability to go in the first round of the draft, he's really the one that has maybe the most, I mean, the most red flags for off-field stuff out of any of the other players. And so, well, I, and I think that's something we're going to learn a little bit more about in the coming weeks because, you know, this is about the time where they start to kind of dig. Scouts are digging and front offices are digging, and then the, by extension the press is going to be digging on that too. So I think we'll get to hear a little bit more about that, but I think if he can kind of sort of assure people that he's pretty serious about playing football, which he seems to be by all accounts, then, you know, some of his off-field stuff won't be as big of a concern on draft day. But right now he's sort of the guy that some teams have him in the first round. Some teams wouldn't take him until round three because of the, the stuff that's happened with him off the mm-hmm. field. So. Yeah, he's a guy to put like a he's a guy to put a star next to in terms of like watching where he ends up for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a hell of a class that that's that old Miss recruiting class from a few years ago that's just so loaded. You know what I mean? Mm. Because you got Treadwell in there and Incomdiche and Tunsil and I mean, shit. That's you know three guys that could all be top 10 picks in the same recruiting class. Right, right. That's insane. <laughs> I don't know what star. I don't follow recruiting close enough to go back and tell you what star level they would have been. But <laughs> No, I don't I either. I think Kim Dieter was like the top overall uh, kid in his class, though. I think he was a five-star for sure. Yeah, I think he was. No, I'm, I'm saying he was the fivest of five stars. I think yeah. He was, <laughs> the top kid in, in, in his graduating class 
by most accounts. Uh, kind of like, uh, you know, not exactly like him, but kind of like Jadavion Clowney. Yeah. Which, uh, how how old Miss is getting these kids? <laughs> it was a, it's a topic for another day. <laughs> that, that is, you know, pretty damn impressive, I say. Yeah, that's the that's on the Bagman podcast. <laughs> right. We're not supposed to ask. That's right. <laughs> Danny, what about you? I mean, who's really stood out to you? What what is standing out to you so far in the draft? I know you've watched some of the guys and stuff, uh, you know, for field goals and and we're just starting mm-hmm. to kind of get into this and you and I have talked about a project you're working on regarding the nickel defense. So tell us a little bit yeah. about who's standing out in, in terms of what you've seen so far. Well, yeah, cause part of, part of that is like interior rushers, but also guys that can rush on the outside. So Jonathan Bullard is one guy that I've watched a little bit of, uh, lately and, and he's pretty intriguing. Um, you know, kind of just, he's been linked to the Seahawks quite a bit. And so, you know, I've been watching him with that kind of, you know, lens in terms of how the Seahawks might use him. It's kind of like, the Michael Bennett style guy who can, he can hold a, you know, he can play the run on base downs and he can play outside on base downs, but then he can also provide you with some, um, pass rush on the inside. He's a really good athlete. Um, you know, he's, he's really, really tough and physical and and competitive. Like he's always just like, you know, he's firing up his teammates. And that's, I think that's one of those things that, um, you know, you don't, people don't maybe talk about as much, but like having a guy like that, who's like super inspiring and leader in in the, in the trenches like that, I think that's a big deal. I think that's exactly the kind of guy that Michael Bennett is. And so, um, Jonathan Bullard, he's a, he's a guy that's pretty interesting to me. I was watching a guy the other day. I'd like to hear, uh, Steven's take on him is, is Willie Henry from Michigan. Um, I found him to be pretty interesting as well. He's, he's kind of more like a mid round guy. I think that's where he's being projected. Um, but I liked how he played. I think, you know, he's, he's, uh, kind of in the same vein. He's a little bit bigger, but he's, he's very physical, very active, you know, like athletic dude running around and and chasing down the line against the run. Um, you know, seems to be getting a lot of pressure, uh, like, you know, he's not necessarily getting sacks, but he's getting pressure on the quarterback, kind of collapsing the pocket, things like that. I, I liked what I saw from him a lot. Um, and then, uh, in terms of the offensive line, one guy that kind of stood out to me was LaRaven Clark at Texas Tech. I think um, we hear so much about, uh, you know, how the teams these days are having trouble finding uh, offensive te- offensive linemen just in general. Like John Schneider was on Seattle Radio this morning, and he talked about it again. Like, it's not just the Seahawks because uh, the Seahawks, everyone here is freaking out about their offensive line. And, what, and do probably... the Seahawks have a bad offensive line? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it's uh, kind of an issue. Uh, especially since they lost, you know, two two starters also, uh, you know, from that bad offensive line. So everyone's kind of here like, oh, God, Russell Wilson's going to die. Um, but uh, Schneider was on the radio this morning. He was talking about how it's not just the Seahawks. Like, it's kind of like an NFL-wide thing. Like, people are having trouble finding guys uh, that are ready, you know. So they're kind of, they feel like they're starting from scratch, teaching guys, you know, kind of how to play in the NFL. And, like, you see that with the Rams in terms of, uh and I always yeah. forget this guy's name. What's his name? Uh, Greg Robinson. Yeah. For some reason I have a mental block against that guy's name, Greg Robinson. Um, I mean, you kind of just see that too. Like he was, he's physical freak of nature, like amazing attributes, but he's had a, he's had some issues kind of transitioning to the NFL game, but long story short, I, I like what I saw from LaRaven Clark in terms of just his attributes. Like obviously he's really, really long. Yeah. Um, but when he, like he moves his feet, he's, he's really smooth. 
in his kick step and kind of his just, uh, you know, just the way he is in pass pro. I just, I kind of liked him in, in from, you know, just like a development standpoint. So I'd actually like to hear, uh, I don't know if Steven's watched any of those guys, but I'd like to hear his take on either Bullard, uh, Willie Henry or LaRaven Clark. Well, I, I haven't heard of the last two guys. I haven't watched them. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, I did watch some of Jonathan Bullard. Uh, I actually watched him play against us this year, uh, and he kind of kicked our offensive line's ass <laughs> in Tennessee. I'm talking about. So, right. um, I, I like him. I need to look at him a little bit more closely. Uh, I, I'll be trying to do a breakdown of him uh, uh, pretty soon. He's actually one of those guys who only has like three. Uh, games up on draft breakdown from this past season so far. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I'm kind of waiting or looking for uh, another game of his to watch. But I really like him because he, he's kind of a, a, a do-it-all type of, of guy. He can go inside, outside, and, and, and kind of shine in both places from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, big, strong guy uh, with, with some quicks. Uh, those other guys, like I said, I haven't watched them yet. Uh, maybe I'll get a chance to, to get to them. Uh, but but I haven't so far. I will say this: I forgot about Randy Stanley. Uh, but mm. uh, when you were talking about the offensive lineman, that actually kind of resonates with me with, with Randy Stanley. Uh, he's not, on the other hand, a Greg Robinson type guy. Like he didn't run a fast yeah. every time. You're not going to see him, you know, looking great out of space much, and you know, going to get linebackers and moving them 20 yards down the field. But I, I saw uh, Chris Trapasso. Uh, uh, say this on the timeline, and it was perfect. He just he he he's so good at pass blocking that it becomes boring. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and 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 it's perfect because you know it, it doesn't look like he's you know uh, he man or anything when he's doing it. He doesn't look you know it, it's not something he's pancaking people or, or something like that where you say ooh ah. He's right. just stonewalling anybody who comes in his vicinity. Doesn't matter if it's a defensive end, outside linebacker, a blitzing corner, whoever it is. Once he gets his punch on you, it's pretty much over. And you know, it's not this big punch to look like he's Mike Tyson throwing it. It's just, it's just he got those long arms, like you was talking about with Raven Clark, and really good feet. And he 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 gets those hands on. Him. He gets those hands on you, and when he does, man, it's pretty much over. He and uh, <clears throat> Shaq Lawson, yeah, had a real good battle. Uh, when Clemson played Notre Dame. And, you know, uh, Lawson was pretty much the only guy to kind of get the best of him a little bit. But he gave as good as he got that game. And, and, and you know, it, it just kind of shows you against top competition, he was still up to the challenge. So uh, I'm really excited to see him on the next level. Like I said, I don't think he's ever going to be the guy that's on a highlight tape. But when you talk about just having a quiet game where you never really hear his name called, I think that's going to be running Stanley on the next level. He's just going to block people and block people and block people until <laughs> you're bored watching them do it. Yeah. That's a huge deal for offensive linemen. I mean, you can't – I mean, oh, that yeah. was an interesting thing to listen to coaches talk about a couple of weeks ago at the coaches' breakfast, just what a struggle it is for some of them. And I thought – you know, Bruce Arians made a good point about how, you know, in the perfect world, you could – some of these guys you'd bring in and could redshirt them and not have to throw them out out to the wolves right away and give them some time to kind of sit and learn. But, you know, Stanley, you look at, you know, having, I go through with Stevens breakdowns, it's, it, you read those things so closely. 
and get the gifts and stuff for him. It's really interesting to watch a guy like that work because it's sort of that seamless, seamless blocking you're used to seeing from, you know, the best NFL offensive linemen and just that you don't really, you never notice it. I mean, you just kind of assume that that's like, if you only watched Aaron Rodgers throw passes, you would assume that all quarterbacks would play like that. And it wouldn't really be that special unless it's like a last second hail Mary or something like that. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's, it's kind of like that. And and just to give a little teaser for everybody, Conklin, uh, Conklin, Jack Conklin, breakdown, the, um, uh, Michigan state offensive tackle coming up tomorrow on the site. So, uh, Stay tuned from that for that, and we'll have a, a lot more draft breakdowns and draft talk and draft things for you because it's kind of that time of year, is it not? Indeed, it is. Well, fellas, uh, we should uh, we should wrap it up here. We've got a good uh, we got a good podcast on the books, and I think uh, there's a lot for folks to digest and take away and uh, get excited about. All right, guys, uh, it's been a good one, and uh, we'll uh, we'll get this up on the site for everybody, and uh, we will talk football again real real soon. Sounds good. Sounds good.